Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 323rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's just as comfortable in the back alleys of your failed spec box as we are in the gilded halls of your greatest victories. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? James, this week we got four things to talk about. First off, we've got our top movers, where we're going to go through the, uh, I'm sorry, First off, we're going to do the Week in Review online. We've got a Modern Showcase and a Pioneer Showcase to talk about. Then we're going to get to the top movers, both in paper and online. Segment 3 has our cards to watch. You and I have some good picks, and there's a great reader pick as well. And uh, finally, we're going to get into uh, the early speculation status of Streets of New Capenna and the New Capenna Commanders. Alrighty, so we can uh, jump right in here to check out this Modern Showcase Challenge. There was both a Modern Showcase Challenge on the Saturday this past weekend and a Pioneer Showcase Challenge on the Sunday. Uh, The Modern Showcase Challenge was uh, won by Living End, which also finished 5th and 7th in this tournament and informs one of my picks later in the cast. Then we had a couple of interesting decks in second and third. The second place deck was a blue-white deck, but it wasn't Hammer Time. It was Urza Artifacts. Two Teferi Time Raveler, four Esper Sentinel, four Ingenious Smith, four Memnite, four Thought Monitor, three Urza Lord High Artificer with four Urza Saga, three Thought Cast, three Metallic Rebuke, and a, smile, uh, a small pile of artifacts to round things out. So it has... Elements of, of cards that have showed up in other artifact-themed decks in the format, the affinity list uh, that finished in 6th, for instance, um, share some cards here. There are elements from iterations of Hammer Time and decks that were that like Aspiring Spike was testing with the Oswald Fiddlebender at one point. Um, not a deck that we see show up in Top 8 very often, but Urza and Urza Saga are certainly very powerful cards. I mean, it's a deck playing for Thought Monitor, which is, you know, uh, if you thought Thoughtcast was good at four and a blue for two cards, can I interest you in a two-two flyer for an extra two artifacts in play? And there's like an there's an eight thought deck in Legacy right now that's running Thought Monitor and Thoughtcast thought... or Mull Drifter. I think it's Thoughtcast, pretty sure. I'd be surprised if it was Mull Drifter, but you know this. Uh... It's a great thing, and this deck is amazing. The only thing I can't figure out looking at it is, like, this looks like a deck that wants to have um, all of its uh, artifacts in play ASAP, 
So like when you find the time to play that Razor Tide Bridge is uh, is a little tricky. But otherwise this looks like a, a lot of fun to play and nothing says fun like a, a bunch of uh, one of artifacts for uh, your Urza Saga to go find. You got your Relic, your Nettle Cyst, your Aether Spellbomb. Well no, uh, Saga can't go find Nettle Cyst. That's for... What is that for? They don't even have a... Um, what's its facer? The... Um, Stoneforge in here. The nettle cyst they just throw on whatever, right? A thought monitor, most of the time. Yeah, they just throw anything. <laughs> well, the the only flyer in the deck is is thought monitor, so it's probably destined to be put there. Yeah, it's uh, just a good card. Razor Tide Bridge, I think, is there as a response to Beseju being in the format because it's indestructible. Um, oh. And I suspect, okay. and and blue white control in this format probably runs. Uh, land destruction in the form of Field of Ruin or likewise. Uh, and this can't deal with that either, I don't think. So uh, there was that deck. And then right in third place, we have the, I think, previously unknown to major top eights on, on Magic Online, but frequent f recent favorite of modern streamers, the Tameshi Lotus Bloom combo deck, whereby they fairly quickly, often turn three, four, or five, um, are able to go off by uh, playing Lotus Bloom, sacking them, bringing them back with Tameshi uh, over and over again to have enough mana to cast a, a big turn timber, sorry, a finale of devastation to go get a Cultivator Colossus or multiple Cultivator Colossus and swing for massive damage. Um Definitely one of the decks that I was waiting to see if it would be managed to top eight before going in on. Uh, probably the most relevant cards in here, the four Lotus Blooms, the four Tameshi, three Cultivator Colossus. It runs three Thrathery. Um, they have four Wargate, which has spiked as a result of this deck and is probably not going to float much lower if it keeps to doing well. And then for Eladomri's Call, uh, a card I just recently buy-listed successfully uh, to Card Kingdom coming out of its last printing. So that's definitely a deck to watch and one that is utterly unique. Uh, has a whole bunch of cards that nobody else is playing. And then we had, uh, as I said, Living End uh, was in 5th and 7th. Merc Blue-Red Merktide was in 4th. And then the other interesting deck here was another blue-white artifacts deck, but of a different flavor. It's a, also a blue-white deck, but no Urzas here, though they still do have the Urza Sagas. This is a true affinity deck. It's for Frogmite, for Memnite, a Ginger Brute, two Mirror Enforcer, and then the updated Mirror Enforcer from Modern Horizons 2, Sojourner's Companion, uh, four Ornithopter, four Thought Monitor, and four Thought Cast. So there's the eight Thought portion of the, I guess that this deck exists both in Modern and Legacy. Ether Spellbomb, four Cranial Plating, Nettle Cyst, two Relic of Progenitus, a Shadow Spear, two Spring Leaf Drum, two Welding Jar. This deck, classic affinity. They just want to drop a bunch of four fours onto the table by turn two and force you to find an answer. I love a, a Singleton Ginger Brute in there. They just like, they had space for one creature, one, it can be one mana, you know, one mana haste, difficult to block, so it's a a great choice for that nettle cyst equip or cranial plating you, i was gonna say cranial plating is even better but you know you're paying one mana and it's not even you know flyers or reach you have to have stuff with haste you know you can't catch me 
<laughs> the gingerbread man. Just like, can you imagine dying in a stupid card in like a you're playing for the top eight of a modern event and you're like dying to some seven one ginger brute that's already hit you twice? Like, oh mercy. <laughs> There's a little honor in dying to the ornithopter, that's that's classic. But this little guy, oh, would make me crazy. I love it. So one of the more interesting modern top eights we've seen in the last little while and in sh big showcase challenges to boot, like these are fairly well-trafficked tournaments, so not easily ignored. Uh, over in the Pioneer Showcase Challenge, which they had the next day, I guess probably so they don't conflict with one another, uh, first place was Blue White Spirits, second place Winota, both uh, pillars of the format, Mono Green and third, likewise. Arclight Phoenix, Blue Red, um, phoenix in fourth but instead of a slot that once upon a time was occupied by thing in the ice we have the four ledger shredder um and this is going to show up in our top paper movers as the biggest mover of the week and indeed has been a card that's been under hot discussion amongst the pro traders in our discord because <clears throat> it wasn't really a card that was talked about in many set reviews uh don't think mm -hmm. it, don't think it factored in ours don't think it factored in any of the other ones i watched kind of mentioned as, oh, that's kind of an okay, cool looter moving right along to something else. And feels like one of those cards that people just completely missed up front. I, I know that when I saw this card, I was just like, okay, you get to loot. And you have a 1-3 flyer that might be a 2-4 and later a 3-5. Just doesn't sound good enough for competitive. Like, I don't even think I, I looked at this as a standard card, let alone a modern card. But the reality is that in modern, because it triggers off any player... Uh, it does, you know, in decks that are very low slung, as that format tends to be, it's not that hard to get two or three triggers out of this thing before somebody deals with it. And that lets you dig for things that you are currently missing. If you need land, it can help you find land. If it if you need something else, it gets you to that uh, faster. And certainly has synergies with Phoenix, because if you have a Phoenix in hand and you want it in your yard, the Phoenix is popping out when you cast multiple spells, so the whole thing flows so nicely. You're, you cast that second spell, you ditch the Phoenix to the yard. I'm assuming if you stack the triggers correctly, you can pop the Phoenix back out on the very next... Well, Phoenix wants three and Shredder wants two. So I don't really... It doesn't even matter if you... Stacking is irrelevant, you're just... You need to get to the third spell to pop Phoenix out anyway. So on the second spell, you get Phoenixes in the yard, and or at least one Phoenix, and then go from there. You're usually not like whipping the Phoenix into play on turn three anyway. You're usually not doing three one-drop spells. Usually, there's like uh, you know a, a two mana spell or uh, a two mana spell and two ones. So if you can lead off with um, the Shredder on turn two. Then you're going to get an extra free uh, loot in there, and that feels real great because uh, Pioneer loves that. And this deck, just anytime you can loot, it's a it's going to be a winner for this deck. So I mean, Shredder's got potential here in Standard, Pioneer, and Modern all of a sudden. And and art and we we briefly touched on this last week that it arguably might be one of the best looters available in EDH, just because it triggers off any player casting a second spell on any turn. So as you go around the table, it kind of has like a Teferi Master of Time kind of effect where you might get to loot multiple times on multiple turns. That is a, a good thing. I don't, I don't like giving my opponent the choice, but as we're going to talk about the 
the price movement indicates a lot of people uh, do love this card. I certainly think Teferi Master of Time was likewise underestimated and is still underplayed in, in EDH. Every time I ever cast it in Atraxa, I'm very pleased to have it on the board. Um, defends itself decently against whichever player was inclined to attack it and tends to, even if they deal with it in the first turn cycle, you tend to get two or three of your Planeswalker abilities off before that happens. And if they leave it <laughs> on the board, it can take over. Yeah. Um, I know uh, you've been getting your reps in with uh, with Esper Control in Pioneer, right? Not in Pioneer. I play Historic on Arena. And it's and it has shared shared cards with the blue white control list, but they are much more tuned and focused than my janky build. Okay, because uh, there's like we said, there's two of the blue white decks in uh, in the Pioneer Showcase top eight, fifth and eighth place. Each one with um, five of uh, Teferi Hero and four. I'm sorry, four of the five drop Teferi, the Hero of Dominaria, and then four of the Wandering Emperor, which is just a delight. Does Wandering Emperor exile or does it destroy? Exile exiles and gives you two life uh, versus a tapped creature, and she comes in with flash, right? So, right, you're typically holding her up on turn four or five against an incoming attacker. You're getting Phoenix. getting it gone, and it's not coming back. And then on your next turn, you usually make something. You tick up. And and hopefully you have further defense to keep her in play. Yeah, it just seems like a fantastic answer against uh, stupid phoenixes coming at you because now they've got to devote resources to getting rid of the emperor, and that's one less card they have to deal with you. Gotta love it, man. Gotta love it. In expert control, I get to run. I have four March of Otherworldly Light and four Fatal Push to def- that seems good. Defend against all of the goblin, elf, and green white. Uh, soul sisters decks that are running around um or i guess green white angels is usually what's going on with a scurry oak is that a card uh yes that's the one that takes a counter off yeah the combo with uh heliod to make infinite squirrels or whatever um so you you often as long as you have early plays and if if the Wandering Emperor is your... Typically the way it plays out is the Wandering Emperor ends up being the final piece of your stabilization puzzle. It, it's either the... You know, you might have gotten a Wrath off on turn three, four... Probably on turn four or five against two or three creatures, and now they are starting to rebuild. Their first creature in is going to come in and attack. Wandering Emperor is going to take care of that, and now the ball had... You know the tides have turned, and the control deck can start to establish control with counter spell and removal backup. It seems very viable, and uh, I'm looking forward to when you know Pioneer in is its own thing that we won't have to even know what Historic or Explorer were. So there's a very similar blue-white control list in eighth in this Pioneer Showcase Challenge, and then probably the most interesting list here was the blue-red control list that showed up in sixth. We, we talked earlier about how Arclight seemed to have given up on Thing in the Ice, but there's still this other list that is no Arclight, but four Thing. This is four Narset Parter of Veils, one Brazen Borrower, one Hullbreaker Horror, four Thing in the Ice, and then Anger of the Gods, Collective Defiance, Days Undoing to Combat with Narset, four Expressive Iteration, all-star card uh, in this color combination, 
Considers, Dig Through Times, can't believe they still get to play with that in Pioneer. Fiery Impulse, Flame Blessed Bolt, Opt, Spell Pierce, and Spikefield Hazard. So this is much more of a a thing-based deck. It's, it's a build around uh, in this list as you're as the the thing that lets you turn the corner and drive it home. Yeah, and as an added bonus, you get to do the Gomez voice whenever the thing does something. Indeed. And then seventh place here was the (laughs) Omnath Bring to Light list, which is not a version of Omnath we've been seeing in modern lately. For about six to nine months a ways back, it was pretty common. I guess that was probably winter of 2020 into 2021, start of the pandemic, um, as Zendikar Rising had released, Omnath was therefore on the table, and a lot of those early four and five color builds were BTL lists. As time went on and then we got Modern Horizons 2 cards, uh, things moved to like an Elementals build, uh, Ikoria coughed up Yorion, and then you saw the 80-card builds with Yorion, and now there are both elementals and value uh, builds for Omnath and Modern, but here in Pioneer, uh, they don't have all the same options. They don't have all the, the, the pitch cards from MH2, for instance, so they're running a, a list that doesn't look all that different than the five, early five-color uh, BTL lists in Modern, to be honest. It's running a lot of the same cards. Yep, and uh, has the mana base to match, and just all kinds of, just whatever you'd imagine a five-color deck in the format would play, it's playing, and it is a beautifully beautiful mess. A bunch of mythics, ones, twos, and threes. You got a Nahiri the Harbinger, Clothis, God of Destiny, three Niv-Mizzet Reborn, two Omnath, Locus of Creation, a Selfless Glyph Weaver. Surprised me a bit. Gives your sack if you exile it, your creatures gain indestructible until end of turn. Uh, four Sylvan Karyatid, one Valky God of Lies, one Yasharn, Implacable Earth. We'll talk about that card a little bit more later. Four Bring Delight, some Control Elements and Ramp Elements, Growth Spirals, Call Against Command, Vanishing Verse. Um, 28 lands in a 60-card deck. Now, uh, Niv-Mizzet can put Selfless Glyph Weaver in your hand because it is two colors, right? Because Selfless Glyph Weaver on the back is the... Uh the overcrossed wrath i don't know if that counts for two colors uh, i'll check that off the top of my head uh and then yeah so pioneer looking that would have been a fun fun top eight by my reckoning uh, mm-hmm. pretty solid a little bit more diverse than we've seen in pioneer in, in the last few weeks so yeah good challenges all around this weekend then a massive pile of cards on the move um Top Paper Movers could have easily been 100 cards long. We're going to limit it to (laughs) the most relevant 20 that we managed to flag. But there are a lot of cards that were up 10, 20, 30% that didn't make this list um, that are moving because of Duke Commanders or because Pioneer people are building Pioneer decks or paper is just picking up in general. Um, And we would expect some of that to tone down as we get to midsummer and beyond and people spend a lot more time outdoors. But for now, things are very bustling, and I would, I would say that most of the pro traders that have a major online presence, either on TCG Player or eBay, are reporting very brisk sales. I know I, I've done a few tens of thousands worth of eBay business lately, um, so there's 
lot of people buying cardboard. Here are some of the things they are buying. Master of Ceremonies Extended Arts from the uh, Streets of New Capenna Collector Boosters, $5 to $7, up 40% on early speculation. This is one of my, my pet cards. I haven't called it on cast because I was hoping for an even lower entry point, which may now be behind us, or these may fade midsummer. We'll talk about that more as we get to our final segment today. Um, Crime and Punishment out of Dissension went from $20 to $28 in non-foil on the back of modern combo deck usage. Um, trying to remember what card I saw using, what Twitch stream I was watching last week where this card was being used. Um, you and I talked about it last week, I think, right? Uh, I th yeah, because it's got the X black green um, same effect as the Pernicious Deed going on. And because the uh, the price of all of it together lets it be played in the Living In deck. I think that's what we were talking about last week. Mm, I don't think it was Living End. I'll have to double back and, and see what deck it was. But anyway, uh, a modern combo deck that's still on the fringes to be sure. We've got Jetmere's Garden borderless copies. Um, also uh, out of... Both set and draft booster boxes as showcase borderless, as well as found in higher quantities in the collector boosters from Streets of New Capenna going from $15 to $21. That's demand plus early speculation. Um, foils went from $28 to $60. And this is pretty impressive given that with Ikoria, where you only had the one uh, fancy version of these lands, so they were, you know, roughly twice as easy to pull there um, versus these borderless cards they were i think borderless non-foils i was picking up between five and ten dollars around this time mostly in japan and foils i was picking up between 15 and 20. so to see these two or three times higher within the same time frame has basically put me in a position where i haven't bought any of them but i'm certainly Second-guessing whether I'm supposed to buy more of the Streets of New Capenna collector booster boxes that can be found here and there under $200. Well, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in terms of, like, is the, is the time right? Um, for some of these that have the demand, where I don't think people are going to let it get cheap. You know, if this has been some other set, if we didn't have... The lesson of the Ikoria lands teaching us that, you know, uh, it was easy money to pick up the extended art foils, especially because they looked so different. Um, you may not like the art choice that they went with on the borderless foils, where it's very like Art Deco plus the uh, insignia. And it, it doesn't matter because everybody knows what the Ikoria triomes are going for and are presuming that these are going to be uh similar in rarity in terms of like how many there will be out there to buy and i think that's that's what people are doing it's becoming somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy but it's also a function right. of the fact that the showcase versions uh that frame is not particularly well regarded and the borderless despite people complaining that the art was all very same same and not a fantastic uh approximation of the uh, genres of art that it was referencing in hand they actually look good like i changed my mind about them the second i, I laid hands on them they were 
they look good. The foils look great. And sleeved up, happy to have them in my deck. I, I don't think they're even slightly embarrassing. So I think it was more that it was jarring versus what people were uh, used to for the Triumphs. And there's an OCD element to it where people want everything to be same, same, and th these are not. That said, these, like you said, I, I don't think anybody's going to let them get very cheap. I mean, they, I, the, the discussion in the Pro Trader Discord has been, is this too hard, too fast? I'm inclined to say yes. We'll talk about it more in a bit. Um, but we'll see. So for now, moving on to Professional Facebreaker, Extended Arts, uh, another great EDH card. And I think the most played non-Triome rare out of the set, according to EDH Rec, so far. And so the Extended Arts have gone $5.50 to $8.00. Um, I suspect that those are future $25 to $30 cards within 18 months. Um, card's pretty good. I uh, started running it in Corvold this weekend and was happy with the result. We've got Oath of Nyssa out of uh, Oath of the Gatewatch going up 50% from $4 to $6 on the back of Pioneer Play, uh, where there are decks running it as a four of. It's also, if you're running Super Friends like Atraxa or otherwise in... Uh, and it includes green and commander. You're almost certainly running a copy. Uh, I pulled out a stack of pre-release foils of Oath of Nyssa I have that I bought in on at $5 a few years back that have just been sitting in the bad specs box, and they may well get their time to shine shortly here. <laughs> just got to give it enough time. Everything gets there. Well, I mean, Bronze Bombshell is next on the list at a Dissension going from 10, Speaking 10, of... 10 to 15 Total trash card, but apparently it has an instant kill potential uh, partnering with another card, Thornbite Staff or something in Beamtown Bullies. Uh, yep. And then Hive the Eye Tyrant, uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms ampersand promos from last summer, going from 45 to 70. I know I've got some of those that I picked up in Europe, so happy to see those on the move. I already sold Den of the Bugbears for something like a triple up. Um so even getting a, a double off the hives will be fine as well. Resplendent Angel Foils. This is an M19 Mythic Foil going from 52 to 85 on the back of a combination of Giada plus Pioneer Play. Um, a combination we're going to see a couple more times on this list. Don't count out a Foil Mythic Angel is the lesson there. Uh, Reign of Riches, not Richers. <laughs> Although it does in the U.S. often feel like you have a, a reign of riches, um, reign of riches out of the new Capenna Commander cards, just non-foil versions of this, going four to eight dollars, and there are multiple versions to keep an eye on. This is a strong new treasure slash EDH card that was completely off my radar. We didn't talk about it in the set review at all. I don't think it ever came up, um, but I ended up slotting it into Corvold this weekend as well because it does the things you want it to do. It's five mana for uh, an enchantment that when it comes into play, you get some treasures and then you can use treasure obviously to cast spells. And if you cast spells with treasure while this thing's in play, your car, your spells gain cascade. So in a deck that has a bunch of treasure lying around it and tends to use it regularly, this turns into a major value engine. I mean, it, it's everything commander players want to do. <laughs> Plea for power at a conspiracy, five to ten dollars. That's on the back of that new voting commander. Um, Angelic field marshal at a uh, commander twenty fourteen went from nine to eighteen for a double up. 
uh, on Giada speculation, I would imagine. Sure, people are building Giada, but I when you see a specific angel, like foil resplendent angels, take off that hard that fast, some of that demand is organic, and a good chunk of it is likely to be speculatory. Um, Fires of Invention, foil extended arts from Eldraine, foils going from 7 to 14. They were at one point 30 or 40 or $50 when Fires, before Fires got banned in, I think, Standard. Um, right. And then they collapsed pretty heartily. But now that Pioneer is back, the card is back on the menu. Mazarek Kral Death Priest out of Double Masters foils going from 9 to 20. That's the only foil printing of that card ever. And it's a great anti-treasure tech card for EDH um, because your whole squad gets bigger every time somebody sacks a treasure or a clue or a blood token or whatever. Um, so that's cute. Also a card I should probably be running in Corvild. And But then there's also Vazi, the Keen Negotiator, who gives treasure to your opponents and then you get a benefit when they use it. But then with Masaryk out, you're getting an additional benefit. So that is a lock. It's in like 60% of the Vazi decks that have been reported recently on EDH Rec. And Vazi's not one of the top 10 commanders of the last week, but still uh, gives a, a bump to the overall EDH demand. Yeah, just uh, Vazi plus this seems like a fantastic combination because you're going to have these treasures and... You're like, go ahead, do something. Oh, I get all these counters and cards? Why, thank you. You're so kind. I really appreciate you. What's next on here? Uh, next on here, we have uh, Myth Unbound from Commander 18. Uh, that version of it has gone uh, 350 to 8. If I remember Myth Unbound right, that's the one-drop enchantment, right? It's getting... Yeah, myth... No, that's Myth Realized. It's getting... Unbound th is... Yeah, this one is an enchantment for two and a green. Your commander costs one less to cast for each time it's been cast from the command zone. And whenever your commander is put into the command zone from anywhere, you draw a card. And this is on the back of Henzi Toolbox Torre, because that's a Jund 3-3 Devil Rogue. Each creature spell you cast with mana value 4 or greater has Blitz. And then Blitz cost you pay costs one less for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone this game. So the whole point in Henzi is to cast Henzi a bunch of times. Um, and this uh, basically draws you cards every time that happens. So it's just a natural fit there. It really is. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's a much better card than I thought it was. Uh, next I up mean, we have... Un frank frankly, in that slot... If I was building that deck, I think I'm still putting Protection Racket in there over Myth Unbound. Because the Myth Unbound is... Let's say you end up casting your commander three to four times in a game. Maybe with Henzi it's higher. It's five or six, because that's kind of what you're trying to do. Um, you're you're going to draw five, six cards for three mana. Protection Racket, I still maintain, <laughs> is going to drain the table for 10 to 20 life and draw you whatever, four to ten cards along the way. And so since you're in Jund anyway... Not convinced that's actually your optimal use of that slot. But certainly would be curious to see it tested out. I haven't actually watched a Henzi deck go off on uh, stream yet, so I'm going to track one down and see how it does there. Um, then we got Unfulfilled Desires out of Mir uh, Mirage, 7 to 16. This is a reserve list card, and Jason picked it on Brainstorm Brewery um, because it fits into Oscar. Um, the commander that cares about uh, 
discarding stuff to the graveyard. Um, so that was the movement there. We've got Falco Spara, Pact Weaver, the gilded version. Foils going from 28 to 65. Pretty much all of those gilded foils, the rares and mythics, have been targeted. And there are there's a relatively sparse amount of inventory left on TCG Player. A lot of vendors are sold out. Not convinced Falco is one of the ones people should be focusing on, but I guess we'll see. Uh, Youthful Valkyrie out of Cal Time, four to ten dollars for non-foil copies. That's going to be 150% gains on the back of Giada speculation and play. Rafine Scheming Seer out of New Capenna went from three to nine dollars on the back of Standard and EDH play with Gilded foils going from forty to eighty. I picked up 16 copies at 4.25 here in Toronto over the weekend. And I'm planning to try to get them over to a Japanese buy list to get 1,400 yen, which will be about $12 US, I guess, per copy. So neat little triple up there if the buy list holds firm on the way over. You know, the, there's surprising amounts of money to be made on some of these uh, Streets of New Capenna cards. And especially if you can take advantage of the arbitrage, you know, you're there, whether it's Europe to Europe to here or there to Japan. I heard people analyzing Standard saying that Rafine wasn't the right time for her, that like the black cards like Meat Hook Massacre would hold a deck that would support her down. But Japanese players plus tech uh, has long been a tradition, and apparently they're pretty big on Rafine over there because if it's buy listing for 1,400 yen, it's probably selling retail at 25 so that's about $22 versus $4 copies in North America. So I'm not surprised to see the gap being bridged as people test further into the standard uh, meta and potentially some of those copies are floating over to Japan to be buy-listed. I don't know about Meat Hook Massacre holding it back. Like um, Rafine's ability puts it out of Meat Hook range pretty effectively. I mean, if she can buy... Can, uh, connives on her first turn attacking well like you get to connive on an attacking creature she already comes down you know three mana for four toughness you know if you're able to land her on turn three you know they're gonna need six mana to meet hooker away and at six mana you're already like well farewell sucks so you know that's what you're more worried about i'd say than meat hook but uh, i don't play a lot of standard so she does have ward as well so point removal isn't as easy as it would otherwise be yeah that's just the annoying tax it's like oh i could but i can't that's that thalia at play grand crescendo the card that get, makes a bunch of tokens and gives all your whole squad indestructible till end of turn uh is a not a Streets of New Capenna card, it's a New Capenna Commander card, and this is just the regular version that you would have found in the New Capenna Commander decks for the year, um, going from 5 to 16. It actually got as high as some obscene number when they were drained out originally, 30 or $40 or something, and we commented last week about how it was ridiculous. It has already faded back towards 16. Um, I, I think that's still high. I, I look at this card as being in a tokens deck, pretty close to as valuable as something like a heroic inter intervention, a step up from that, given the additional tax making tokens, certainly in Ginny Fey, being able to get indestructible while simultaneously making a bunch of hasty cats is pretty nice. Um, but I don't think this card can hold this price point heading into midsummer. I suspect it's going to fade back under $10. I, I think that we're due for a retrace for a lot of these, and this being the version that came with the deck, 
Um, I'd say normally you're right, except that every almost everybody who buys a deck, this particular deck, um, it's a, a real question of how many like vendors buy the deck to sell it piecemeal versus like how many people buy the deck to play it because you would never take this out of any white deck this is like an amazing card and you have to like really not want tokens and or indestructibility for your team so like i i'm just wondering if the price especially on this version because this is not the commander booster version this is not the the a version that comes in any kind of pack this is only in the commander deck like I don't know how much, how many copies they're going to be out there, and we'll, well see about that. Part normally we would expect with these commander decks that the mass cracking operations on the major platforms would simply crack enough to keep up with demand. Um, I think part of why we're seeing the early speculation plays on new uh, new commander cards is because some speculators and vendors were are aware that Wizards had flagged that there was going to be shortages of these decks. Mm. But these decks are not sold out on places like Card Kingdom and Cool Stuff Inc., for instance. Like There are still copies sitting there waiting to be bought. So it really comes down to, does the gaming company on TCG Player have access to another pallet full of decks that they're going <laughs> to drop inventory um, you know, two weeks from now or something, and there's going to be suddenly 800 copies of Grand Crescendo? Or can they only get 40? Or... Can they just not get quantity of any amount at this point? And they've already sold through for the time being. Time will tell. Um, something I certainly am keeping an eye on. My gut is you sell a regular Grand Crescendo at this level. If you have a foil extended art Grand Crescendo that you opened in the uh, collector boosters, price is still pretty high. It's probably still a sell. A little tough to say because the commander cards being in foil extended art is a first in New Capenna, and they so we'll have to see how that plays out because it has diluted the overall size of the pool. You and I were talking about that uh, in our Discord chat last week, right? Uh, I don't think there's a there's a foil extended art of Grand Crescendo. I I don't think it's one of the special sixteen cards. Yeah, because it's not all of the NCC cards that got uh, a foil right. extended art, right? That is correct. Let me look up the exact list of cards. I just need to bookmark my own article, man. I've referred yeah, to it. Yeah, you're you're right. There times. is there is no foil of Grand Crescendo, so that's relevant. So then my comment would be corrected to say if you opened an extended art of it, which is currently at twenty nine listings and likewise sitting at sixteen dollars. Um, what do you do about it? Uh, I think I would sell. There's a a lot of collector boosters left to open. Looks to like, me like like I've got Grand Crescendo going 20? 5 to 16 in regular, but there are copies at around 12. So I'm only going to credit them with 5 to 12 because they've already collapsed back to that. And again, like Bob's Cards, for instance, has put up 145 copies at $12. So I suspect that there there is downward pressure enough here to for sure push Grand Crescendo back down under $10. And that the extended arts can probably get pushed down pretty close to that level as well. Yeah, um, I'm I'm with you on that one. I got this is a good card. This if this was yeah, we're not we're not questioning how good the card is. We're questioning like how many copies are left to be pulled out of uh, packs and boxes. Like when this was five, you and I would have said wait till it's two, right? And so show me a very cheap price on this card. I will certainly buy a brick. 
at 16 for extended arts i'm not i'm a seller not a buyer i think and i agree and for the regular copies wake me up when they get back close to five uh split decision foils from conspiracy from 6 to 24 that's going to be on the voting commander um whose name i should probably look up it was featured in the uh esper deck review by uh command zone this morning so i'll look that up while you tell us about the next card Next card is Fiery Impulse, the one red instant out of Magic Origins. The foils have gone from $1.50 up to 6 uh, Just to refresh your brain on this, for those of you that don't remember or didn't play during Magic Origins, it's one red, deals two damage to target creature. If you have spell mastery for two, that means you have two or more, two or more instants or sorceries in your graveyard, it instead deals three. Uh, you will note that is basically an instant version with more work of a card they just printed at Common in Strangle. Uh, after that, we have uh, Jadar, the Ghoul Caller of Nefalia. We're talking about the silver screen foils from Double Feature. Um, this went from about $12 to $70. Uh, this is really good in Anhelo, Anello, that uh, I talked about the showcase foils last week, and uh, apparently somebody thought there were one or two Double feature foils worth buying, and now there's one for seventy and one for a hundred thousand on TCG Player. So uh, good job to whoever bought those. Snap by on that hundred k for sure. Um, I'm the, telling you, the Council's Dilemma Commander is Tivit, Seller of Secrets. Three Esper for a six six flying with Ward three Sphinx Rogue. Uh, whenever Tivit enters the battlefield or deals combat damage to a player starting with you, each player votes for evidence or bribery. For each evidence vote, investigate. For each bribery vote, create a treasure token. And while voting, you may vote an additional time. So obviously, if you're building around that, you need all the council cards from Conspiracy. Uh, and then capping things off, we've got Ledger Shredder uh, from Streets of New Capenna going from $1 to $8 in regular versions. Um, this is on the back of broad multi-format play, as we said earlier, standard, pioneer, modern, all testing the card. Uh, it's going to see some EDH play. Foil extended arts are up from $4 to $22, which again seems very early for a foil extended art to take off. Normally you would expect it to hover under $10 for a while, even if it's seeing multi-format play. But if it's a multi-format four of staple in standard, pioneer, and modern simultaneously, and sees EDH play, then, you know, even if that fades, maybe it fades from 22 to 12 to 15 and not back to four. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm a seller at $8 for an in-print rare, you know, for the, the non-foil regular, if it's as high as eight, I believe I want to be getting that. There's blessed few rares that hold that price for that long. So, um, if it corrects back down a little bit, I might want to pick up some, but I think if I had any already, they would I would be trying to get rid of those rares for, you know, $7 and call it a day. If anybody bit off a stack near a dollar when the streamers were starting to showcase the card last week, they are already facing a buy list exit on CK from 350 to 455. It's not that different on cool stuff either. Um, Sold. So that's a nice turnaround. You know, I typically operate on a longer timeline, but I'm cer certainly not going to kick a one-week flip in the, in the mouth. One-week flip at uh, what is a, a dollar to four? You said three fifty to four fifty. Three fifty cash. 
So you're getting... 350 cash? Yeah. 250% profit? Sold. Yeah. Over on Magic Online, we've got Magus of the Moon from Time Spiral Remastered going from about 5 tickets to about 7. 43% gains on the back of being solid anti-Baseju Blood Moon alternative fodder in Modern. Unlicensed Hearse, another uh, interesting card out of Stutes and Nukapenna being tested broadly. Um, three and a half tickets to six and a half tickets, 86% gains. This is the one, the vehicle that can tap to remove two cards from a graveyard uh, and exile them. And then if you ever crew it and attack with it, its power and toughness are equal to the number of cards you have done that with. So if it, you know, three or four turns later, it's a 6-6 six, six or an 8-8. Eight, eight, and you've got a bunch of key things out of the yard. Um not convinced on how relevant this card is in a format like, say, Modern, where there are wipe the whole graveyard for one or two mana, um, as opposed to this thing. But I can, you know, maybe in in Pioneer you have fewer options. Uh, Vivian of the Hunt at a Streets of New Capenna, five point seven five ticks to almost eighteen tickets. That's two hundred ten percent gains inside the first week of release. Uh, modern combo deck with plain bound accomplice which has been heavily featured by streamers and on youtube uh, is the responsible party there An another one of these decks like the tameshi combo deck that we haven't seen top eight a major event yet but it may well do so uh, in the near future ledger shredder then tops this list just like it did in paper 4.5 tickets to 20 tickets for a frequently drafted rare on magic online so that's, that's nuts. up 16 ticks, and, and I'm pretty sure it, it started even lower. So that's 350% plus gains on the back of that multi-format play pattern. Very tasty. And again, Ledger Shredder was not even remotely on the, our radar during the set review. That's a draft and a half for a regular rare. That's nuts. Sell while you can, man. That's amazing. All right, moving on over to cards to watch. I got some spicy ones this week. Um... Here's another card that I, I threw into Corvold that is in 12,000 decks on EDH rec. It is a top CEDH commander, which I guess sort of makes this my first CEDH-related pick ever. Uh, no, I think it's my second. I think I called Tainted Citadel Foils at some point. Um, but anyway, I, I don't focus on CEDH. I, Google Trends tell me that this is still... Uh, a minor portion of the overall EDH market. Um, but there's certainly plenty of uh, YouTube channels that focus on it, content sites that are pushing out CEDH content. We've got plenty of pro traders that are interested in CEDH. Um, arguably, the guys that we play with on Saturday nights inside the Discord are CEDH-oriented. Um, and a lot has been said recently about how the Magda deck in CEDH is very, very busted. It's a dangerous looking deck. Um, there are also just a ton of treasure cards floating around and a lot of good dragons. Uh, and so Magda has a lot of nice synergies in a bunch of different builds, including her own, whether you're building casually or competitively for EDH. And there are just 32 listings of the foil showcase Magdas left on TCG Player. Looks like somewhere during the rest of this year, they will get mostly drained out, I would imagine. Even if you've only got 50 or 100 uh, CEDH players that were buying foil copies of Magda, that would probably do it. Um, but there is actually a broader demand pattern, so you don't have to lean on just that. And as a result, I suspect that this can go 7 to 15 pretty easily this year. 
I'm with you. Uh, I had no idea it was uh, in so many commander decks, and the synergies are there, not just from, you know, tapping dwarves to get stuff, but also to use five treasures and do something broken. You know, I'm I'm always in favor of cards that do something unique, and Magda's ability to sack five treasures for any artifact or any dragon like, there's a, a whole lot of ways, you know, you play this with your uh, favorite Dockside, and all of a sudden you've, like, instantly put uh, whatever you want out of your deck into play. Like, what, name a name the most busted artifact you can think of. Five seconds, go. I mean, it depends what kind of deck we're playing. I mean, if it's something like Eldrazi Monument will do just fine in Genefe. Um, but you can also... Chroma's Memorial. Blightsteel Colossus, yeah. whatever. Darksteel Forge. Sure, all of we, these things. We can go on. Yeah. So um, I'm with you. I think this is a, a winning pick, and uh, this should pay off well. Mark of approval, James. Good call. All right. Uh, what's on your mind for first selection this week? My first pick this week is uh, really out of character for me, because I generally avoid buying uh, cards in their first couple weeks. But um, I'm starting to think that these Gilded Foils, people are not going to let these get as cheap as I think they should get. So uh, I haven't bought any yet, but I'm considering how many to buy of Broker's Ascendancy in the Gilded Foil. You can get it for around $11 right now, and I'm picking it to go to hit 20 within the next 12 to 16 months because of all the stuff it enables, both, you know, Planeswalkers and... Um, uh, counters synergy so it's two really popular decks yes it's three colors but honestly uh, i don't think that's going to stand in the way there's uh 57 people with copies and uh nobody has more there's only four vendors with more than four and you get one of these every 15 boxes of commander booster collector boosters or so so it's like a one in 164 chance of pulling this particular gilded foil and so uh, there's not a lot in TCG right now. And, you know, there's already uh, one in every five commander decks that's been made since it came out has got a copy of this. So I think this has a lot of room to grow. And I think $11 I'm comfortable getting in. So you said 50 boxes for one of these? Uh, no, uh, 15 well it's one in every 164 packs so uh by divide by 12 like it's 12 is 144 so it's uh 13 and a half i hate doing math in my head hang on uh 164 divided by 12 yeah 13 and a half boxes 13.6 to be precise right so you need to order 2700 us to 3,200 or so U.S. in product to pull one of these. Yes, if the statistics hold. Um, I haven't talked about this lately. I haven't added it to any carts yet, but you just put it back on my radar after I talked about it in the set review. My comment there still stands. Three colors is generally not where I want to be looking for you know, what are the hottest brickable specs from a new set because of the, there's just naturally less decks in multicolor. Um, right. So there's a reason that Professional Facebreaker and Ledger Shredder are taking off ahead of a card like this. Um, 
because they can be easily splashed into decks. And they are also uh, multi-synergy cards. Like the Facebreaker generates treasures when your creatures attack, and then you get to use the treasures to get access to additional card draw selection in the in the red style of, of limited access. And then with Leisure Shredder, you're setting up graveyard decks. You are uh, churning through your deck looking for lands or the specific solution you need to a problem. Maybe you're setting up by dumping Arclight Phoenix into the yard um, to pop back out. Uh, and because of that, those are generally better plans. But... There, there is something specific about Broker's Ascendancy that I already mentioned in the set review, which is that it fits into both of the versions of Atraxa that are most popularly built. Um, and I have both of those built. It's my primary deck, even though I have like 14 decks now. Um, Atraxa Planeswalkers, or Super Friends, is one of the, the ways to go. And this gives you loyalty counters on each Planeswalker you control at the beginning of your end step. A benefit immediately. Yes. Templating for this card is deceptive because often you would assume that this would start on your next upkeep and that your planeswalkers would have to survive around um, before this would trigger. But that's not the case. And in, in with cards like uh, Teferi Master of Time that can activate on opponents' turns, this is certainly very nice. Um, and uh, potentially with something like uh, the Wandering Emperor cast during the attack step of the player before you, and then Wandering Emperor is left at low loyalty, but she's going to plus something to make it bigger, and then at the end of turn get another uh, counter on her and be back into a relatively healthy loyalty position. So there's there's a lot going on there, but they were pretty obviously looking at Attraxa when they did this, because the other half of the card is plus one plus one counters on each creature you control at the end step. Well, the other big build of Atraxa is creature counters, where you just have all the cards where counters matter. And with Streets of New Capenna, there is a lot of interest in building Atraxa. In fact, if we look over at uh, EDH Rec, even now that they've updated their stats to include uh, the inbound decks getting uh, registered with the SNC and NCC commanders, that are, and there are several that are, are, are interesting, Atraxa is still number five. Fifth most built commander in the last week, um, with 467 decks, just behind Jetmir at 485, which is pretty amazing for a commander that has been in the top 10 for ages and has been is is top 10 all time, and I believe number one all time. If we look at past two years, yes, Atraxa is the pat is the number one past two years, number two past month, number five past week on EDH Rec. And so well, remember that Atraxa does fun things with uh, shield counters is the main thing that we got to play with. So now your stuff is doubly hard to wrath away. Yeah, I was talking with the guys um, about, you know, at the EDH, EDH games on Saturday about how my next project is probably rebuilding Atraxa creature counters now that we have all these shield counters available from. And I think Commander 2021 cards is well if i'm not mistaken i think there was some counters stuff i can't remember if it was like Coria or like the 2020 or the 2021 decks but one of those two sets of decks there were some counters cards as well if i'm not mistaken um so i haven't rebuilt attracts or creature counters since the advent of shield counters and i suspect that's going to make that deck even better 
Um, and then the other thing is that because this triggers on your end step and Atrax's proliferate ability triggers on your end step, you can stack those counters in, every, in, in whichever way matters. And if you've got both this and Atrax on the table, then your creatures are getting plus two, plus two, or they're getting double shield counters, or your planeswalkers are going up to loyalty. Very nice synergies there. I don't think that Broker's Ascendancy has very broad applications outside Atraxa. Like if you look at the top 20 commanders of the week, there are no other Bant commanders at all, except arguably Go Shintai of Life's Origin. But I don't think he would run Broker's Ascendancy there. So Broker's Ascendancy is very much a one-trick pony linked to Atraxa, uh, as far as I can tell. But that might be enough for a gilded version that takes $3,000 worth of product to find it. Um, I'm glad these are 10 right now and not 30, because at 30 I think I would be dubious. But I think at 10 for them to go say, what are you saying, 10, 10 or 11 to 20 within 12 to 16 months? I think that's very likely, given how rare the gilded foils are. And they're also quite lovely. I, one of the things that our listeners might not be 100% aware of or might have missed in an earlier cast commentary is that while the collector boost, the English collector booster boxes are still manufactured at the uh, uh, Texas. Yeah, it's in Texas, but I'm trying to remember the name of the company. Carta Monday facility, and I believe it's Dallas. Uh, the gilded foils, in particular, were manufactured in Japan, and that stack of cards that I pulled out of CBs over the weekend is curling less than the regular pack foils from the set as a result. So that's also nice for EDH purposes. Um, so I think this is a good pick. Um, this 20% of all EDH rec decks since it came out, I don't think it's going to keep anywhere near that level. I suspect it drops down to under 5% given any amount of time. Um, but I think the gilded foils specifically are rare enough that they can probably at least double. Like I, I don't know if they're 60 or $80 cards, but I can easily believe they're $20 cards. All right. <clears throat> I'm glad you agree with me. Uh, tell me about this next pick, because it, it's relevant to what we talked about earlier. So I'm looking at Tameshi Reality Architect, um, because that Tameshi deck in Modern just put up a top three result in a major challenge, showcase challenge. So the deck is pretty real. Um, I don't know that it's going to be around consistently, and, but I can also tell you that Tameshi is already in 1,500 decks on EDH Rec, and I think that number is probably too low. I think Tameshi is one of those like uh, very wordy cards that players need to have played against them and watch it go off in Commander to really understand the level of shenanigans here. This is a 2-3 for 2 and a blue. Legendary creature Moonfolk Wizard. Whenever one or more non-creature permanents are returned to hand, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. X and a white return a land you control to its owner's hand, return target artifact or enchantment with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So you're basically, in, in the modern deck, you're doing shenanigans looping with Lotus Bloom. In EDH, you have way more options of silly things you can do. And you can, it can, you can tune it to be slow and, and foolish, or it can be quick and deadly. It's up to you. Um, but... This is an open-ended synergy card, which is one of my favorite things um, when looking at specs, is to find a card that doesn't really care what specific deck it's in, as long as it's in a popular 
broad and broad theme that carries across multiple commanders. In the case of Tameshi, she can be both built as the commander and be part of the 99 in an uh, artifact or enchantment based deck. Um, currently, extended art foils, which I think is the best version. There is a showcase version as well, um, but I think I like this one more. I think the showcases, we're looking at something like 36 listings starting at $3, and the Tameshi's uh, foil extended arts are at 29 listings starting at about two and a half dollars and no major walls of either people have already been nibbling at these for sure um more importantly for the the people from the discord uh, and that are listening that might sell on tcg direct the cheapest tcg tcg direct copy is at 13.95 so you've got a, almost a ten dollar gap so if you had if one of those people snaps off a bunch of three or four dollar copies and then ships them in as part of their SIP order to direct or whatever, they're going to make some nice profits um, until that gap fills in. And I don't know how much longer this inventory really lasts. Like I would give it six to 12 months to drain out to the point where this is going to be a $10 plus card for sure. And so yeah, three or $4 to get to $10 plus sometime in the next year seems pretty likely for Tameshi Reality Architect. I'm calling the foil extended arts here, but you could easily make a case that you like the anime art better i mean i'm picking up a card before it spikes too hard on the back of it being a broken ass combo in uh modern so i'm i'm for that i don't i don't need much more than that and uh knowing that every bit of enchantment uh shenanigan or uh you know some creature that's going to come into play and give me some amount of mana. They'll eventually print something like that. Uh, this is going to do some disgusting things. And having a bunch of uh, FEA copies for when it does seems like a real winner to me. All right, what's your next selection? My other pick this week is a little more... Uh, what's the word I want? Um, it's a little more subtle. It's It shows up in the Jetmere, um, you know popularity list but that's because it's exactly the kind of card commander players love i'm talking about second harvest the source i'm sorry the instant out of uh, shadows over innistrad so it's you know doesn't have uh, extended art it doesn't have showcase it has regular and it has foil and i'm picking the foils which are right now available uh, near mint copies are around six seven dollars uh it is three green green as an instant for each token two you green control. green Two green, excuse me, two green green. For each token you control, put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that permanent. Note it does not say token creature. This will double up all of your token shenanigans, all of your treasure shenanigans, when the food and the clue and the blood, whatever you want. Have you got a bunch of uh, creature, copies of creature tokens around from other things? Go to town. Four mana to double up on all your tokens. Um... I've been thinking about the, like, Odyssey card that will double your tokens for, like, 5 mana and then flash it back for 10 mana or something disgusting. But really, uh, I love 4 mana and an instant to do this one time. Um, you have 25 vendors right now on TCG Player, and only 2 people have 4 or more, and 1 has 5, 1 has 4. The, the number of copies is just not 
around and it has sold at a brisk rate ever since Jetmere came out. So uh, I'm picking it to go from $7. Uh, I think it'll double up to around 15 It's already in 36,000 commander decks. Uh, there's only one foil printing. There was in a it was in a commander deck as a non-foil, which uh, doesn't phase me at all because I'm picking the only foil version out of Shadows of Amistrad. It's an auto-include in Ginny and Jetmere. The Ginny, Seems that way, the, yes. The Ginny versus Jetmere debate continues, but as I've said several times, um, and other people have noted as well, it doesn't really matter which of those two ends up being the most popular because a lot of the, you've used a lot of the same cards uh, in the decks. Um Certainly in Ginny Fey, you drop a bootlegger stash and then shortly activate Rabble Rousing and tap a bunch of treasures off your lands and then cast a second harvest in that turn, and the table's probably dead. Because some obscene amount yeah. some obscene amount of hasty cats just hit people upside the head. So it's pretty good. I, the only threat I can see here is inclusion in Double Masters 2 could be a thing. I mean, it does double up on the stuff, so anything that, that doubles up uh, is at risk. But, but you know. pa both Parallel Lives and Anointed Procession need a reprint, and this is also a rare. So I think it's unlikely that any more than one out of the three cards catches the Double Masters 2 reprint. Second Harvest, Anointed Procession, Parallel Lives. Any of those three could show up there. I don't think it's more than one of the three. I suspect Second Harvest is not the one that they would choose there because the other two need it worse. Um, yeah, they're much more expensive and that's a way to goose the pack EV. Yeah. Um, so I think it's probably safe for a little while. And it... You know, it could also show up in a secret layer at some point, but I don't see it being a huge priority there. There are no... I, I don't think reprinting into standard is very likely this fall, given what we know is coming. It's not impossible. The card is relatively generic and doesn't specifically uh, reference um, Innistrad in a way that they couldn't include it elsewhere. But Brothers War, Dominaria? Probably not. Uh, not impossible if there was like a go wide elves theme on Dominaria, but yeah, I think this is pretty good, uh, and I would certainly be looking to pick up a copy for my Ginny Fay deck. All right, I've got a third and fourth selection for the week because these were looking hot. I didn't want to leave them uh, on the table for too long. Kicking things off here with Living End Foils at a Time Spiral Remastered. I'm giving this a confidence of 9 out of 10 to get there in the next 0 to 6 months. Um, you can pick off copies at kind of 15 to 20. We'll just call it 20 to be safe. And I suspect they're going to double to about 40 this year. Uh, on the back of Living End being a Tier 1 Modern deck where it's always a 4 of, where it is almost never going to get displaced from that list because it's it is the hallmark build around of, of the list in question. Um, it's only ever had two printings, and the original Time Spiral foils are available in the $25 to $30 range, but those are almost certainly a buy as well, because original printings, once they dry up, it's going to be hard to restock on them, given that the deck uh, has seen a resurgence in modern. that It doesn't look, doesn't look likely to be disrupted anytime soon. 
Um, Europe has them slightly cheaper, but once you factor in shipping and everything, it's not going to be tremendously different. Certainly, if you're playing the deck and you're in interested in getting foils, you will probably want to snap those off very quickly. And I think speculating on, you know, one or two full play sets will put you in a pretty nice position to flip them as a play set once they, they get very scarce. People need to keep in mind that Time Spiral Remastered is probably one of the most underprinted sets in the last two years um, relative to everything else that's been going on. And this is not an old border foil. It's just a regular pack foil, but it still has the, uh, the original Time Spiral frame and there is no superior version. Now, could they reprint Living and somewhere else, like a Double Masters or something, and give us a fancy foil borderless version? I'm thinking like a secret layer, yeah. Some secret layer of, you know, no mana cost. You get your uh, couple packed negation or uh, some Cascade cards in there. It, it's probably This is probably too expensive for a secret layer, but not a hunt, not for sure. Regular copies are still at about $7, but we're down to just, looks like, 49 listings on non-foil. So an argument argument could be made for play sets under 30 for living in just generally, um, looking to, to double within the year. It's going to take a little longer because there's more of them, but there's more demand for play sets of non-foils for modern, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, all, all told, I think this is a very solid selection because, again, just two printings, the deck is doing very well. Uh, we saw that it was three of the top eight uh, in the tournament we looked at at the top of the cast. So I think the, the time is now for Living End. Yeah, uh, all the things you just mentioned, it's exactly true. Uh, it's a really difficult card to reprint. Um, we just had Time Spiral Remastered, uh, what, a year ago? Yep. So uh, we're not going to get any in a, a regular setting anytime soon and you know if we can avoid uh some kind of secret layer shenanigan i don't think there's any chances in double masters too so this is a, a good call i like picking up a, a namesake card when it's cheap and it's clearly a, a deck to be aware of in modern plus it just looks fun it always just looks fun to me just like graveyard graveyard boom dead so the final section i have this week is thespians stage um Thespian Stage is a card that has four printings. Um, one of them was Commander 2019, which was non-foils only. The original was in Gate Crash, where the foils are currently $20 plus, down to just 10 listings on TCG Player. And then it got reprints in both Ultimate Masters and Double Masters. But because it was in Double Masters, it's almost certainly not in Double Masters 2. And that means that the real only real threat to it for the rest of the year is probably something like a secret layer which you know again has a very long list to draw from and there's no particular reason to think that this would be included but if we look at the uh, thespian stage foils between double masters and ultimate masters ultimate masters foils can be found at around mm, 11 or 12 dollars but there's they're down to just three listings on tcg player for instance and if we look at the double masters foils they can be had 10 to 12 dollars but we're down to six listings for these to go 12 to 25 regardless of where you snap them off seems very very likely in the near future and the big impetus here beyond the 40,000 decks that run this uh, on edh rec where it's an extremely ubiquitous staple land that can 
you know, double the best land you've got on the table, whether it's a Gaia's Cradle or a Cabal Coffers or whatever, uh, is that it's taking off from being a four of in the Lotus Field combo deck in Pioneer while also seeing some modern and legacy play. All of that put together means I think we're in a very good position for these to hit $25 or $30. Yep. Uh, Thespian Stage uh, was one of my very first specs as a young speculator, low those many years ago. But um, this is a card that is... You have to have a reason not to run it in your commander deck because somebody's going to do something obscene with it. It's not hard to get this to turn into a double mana land. And when you copy something ridiculous like a Volrash Stronghold or um, I've seen it used to very good effect with, you know, Gaia's Cradle and whatnot. You're also copying your own good stuff. It's got the Lotus Field. You know, this is another really great pick. And I'm surprised uh, it's as low as $12 considering how popular it is. Alrighty, and then to wrap things up, we've got Pro Trader Grand Slam Breaks, who last had a pick selected just two months ago. Um, coughing up Yasharn Implacable Earth, Foil Extended Arts. This is a 4-4 from Zendikar Rising for two green-white. It's a legendary creature, Elemental Boar. When Yasharn enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic forest card and a basic plains card. Reveal those cards, put them into your hand, then shuffle, so it's a, got built-in ramp. And then the key ability on it is players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanence to cast spells or activate abilities. This shuts down way more stuff than you would think at first glance. When pretty much all of the tokens that Wizards has spewed into Magic as a game over the last four or five years, gold, treasure, blood, food, clues, what am I missing? Anything? Uh, I think that's all the tokens, yeah. Yeah, so you can't sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. All of those tokens are sac colon effect. So it shuts down all of them. They have to use them in response to Yashurn entering play or not at all. So that is a very handy ability in general, and increasingly so with all of the token generation going on. Um, you know, decks like Ginny Fay or Jetmere don't want to see this in play. Um, decks that are relying on bootlegger stash definitely don't want to see this in play. It forces them to stop making artifacts and just fall back and using their lands regularly. Um, half the cards in my Corval deck don't work if your Sharn's in play. And the foil extended arts are currently seven, eight, nine, ten dollars, depending on where you're buying them. But we're down to just nine listings on TCG Player. I'm sure uh, our boy Grand Slam here has picked some up in advance of of calling out the pick, as one might expect. Um, but he's saying, you know, twelve to sorry, five to. Well, he's saying five to fifteen. I think he's going to have to go with more like. 12 to 25 here to be a legit pick because i i don't really see copies in that five dollar range anymore um but i mean he he's calling them in europe i guess is the deal so yeah he's saying that snap these off in europe around six or seven and you're probably gonna get 15 to 20 for them later it's in 10,000 decks on edh rec um and a very very techie card like it's it's the kind of card where you're gonna cast it. Like say you're like, ha ha, my usual play group often has a lot of treasures, and then it's gonna get into play, 
and it's going to turn off six other permanents that you weren't even expecting it to. Uh, let's see. You can't do fetch lands with this either, right? Can't pay life to uh, on non-land permanents. Can't non-land. Play, no, okay. Players can't play life or sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. So, um, yeah, you can't pay life. So I think it does turn off fetch lands because the non. No, it says non-land. Yeah, but that's only on the sacrifice portion. No, I am pretty sure this does not turn off fetch lands. Let's see what the official gatherers. Oh no, because there's they're definitely separated by an or. Players can't pay life to cast spells or activate abilities, and players can't sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. Is is essentially the two stacked static abilities. Like you can't you you can't cast force of will, discarding a card right. with this either. Also true. Can't pay life or sacrifice. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. And, and it turns uh, off... This does turn off fetches. Yeah, and it turns off casualty, too. <laughs> yeah. It seems... Uh, this, is a, this is a clever, clever pick. Good piggy. Good piggy. It's an elemental, too, which is not irrelevant in a world of Omnath. I'm sure that if you look at the uh, the 80-card Yorion Omnath lists in Modern, there are probably Yasharns running around. Uh, in fact, yeah. we, we we saw one. In you the get book. a risen reef trigger off of this. Sweet. We, we we saw one in the seventh place list in the Pioneer Showcase Challenge above us here as well. Nice. So yeah, you sure an implacable earth. Good job, Grand Slam. I'm sure that's been on other people's radars as well, but uh, seems like a good pickup if you have access to the European market. So to wrap things all up, we're going to double back on this concept uh, or this kind of overarching. Uh, early perspective on Streets of New Capenna and whether the number of cards that have surged early from this set does it make sense? Are they likely to retrace? Um, what happens to the other cards that haven't moved if these prices hold? Those are probably the key questions. So top to bottom, quick responses, and then we can get into the nitty-gritty. Um, doesn't make sense. Uh, it makes more sense for the commander cards on the basis of the supposed scarcity of the decks than it does for the main set. Um, two, are, is it likely to hold? I have trouble believing that's true. I, I think most of these early spikes have to slide backwards as the inventory fills in because we're still, what, two weeks out from release or something? Yeah. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh for, for these prices to hold, two things have to happen. A bunch of product has to not get opened and dumped into the market. And um, the EV redistribution needs to not correct. So one of the things that you would expect if, for instance, foil borderless triomes plus foil etched obnixilis and Elspeth and Urobrask and the other chase cards associated with this set, if they are swallowing a bunch of EV, if they are surging in price early, and a bunch of them, you know, 5, 10, 15 cards are all going up simultaneously, your ledger shredders, your professional face breaker, etc., you would expect that the low end, like regular copies and regular foil copies, would on all the rest of the cards would have to fall 
so that the EV of the set didn't get too high and make cracking CVs too attractive, at which point additional pallets of those will be cracked by the gaming company and their brethren to fill in the gaps. There's no shortage, to anybody's knowledge, of Streets of New Capenna um, collector booster boxes. As far as I know, most of the major vendors have still have plenty of them in stock. Uh, just taking a look here at, you know, cool stuff or Card Kingdom, Streets of New Capenna, sealed product. You know, they've got your collected booster boxes at $194.99 over on CK. You know, it's not like Neon Dynasty where the the CBs are getting driven up to the 240 250 range in the first few weeks. So if Gilded Foils and, you know, that was the other one I missed in that earlier list. Gilded Foils surging, Foil Borderless Triumph surging, Key Extended Art, Foil Extended Art, slat, you know, Commander-oriented cards surging. It can't all be high simultaneously, right? Well, uh, not for long, I don't think. But right now, we are seeing like some huge jumps in some of these Gilded Foil cards. And, you know, um, finish your thought, and then we'll, we'll get into some of the, the relative rarities. Yeah, I mean, I've already... That is my thought. Why, why don't you d- dive into some of the math on how rare some of these things are? And, and Because part of it isn't that the product isn't being opened or isn't rare. It's that Wizards, by providing, over the last couple of years, through the Booster Fund program, an increasing diversity in treatments where you see, you know, Planeswalkers getting borderless foil, showcase foil, and regular foil, and sometimes even more than that. Uh, any individual version, if it becomes the preferred version, is much more rare than a foil mythic ever used to be. That's that's where we're at, right? Right. So um, to give you some idea of relative rarities, uh, we're talking... Um, we mentioned uh, Jetmere, no, Falco Gilded Foils jumping up into the 80 range. That's one in every 328 packs. Um, f- extended Art Foil Gilded Lotus out of Commander Legends was only one in 400. Now, you're, we are probably buying a lot more com- collector boosters of this than we were of Commander Legends, but this is also a lot... Uh, Modern Horizons 2, the Chase Mythics were 1 in 253. Um, to get into some other specific cards, like the Phyrexian Foil Ourobrask is 1 in every 492 packs. And that's like 2.5 times rarer than the uh, Kojima Sorin, for instance. Like we're Like you said, we're getting into a really like rarefied territory of these are hard cards to pull from a collector booster. You know, one in every 328, um, your odds of a Phyrexian foil Vorinclex in call time are only 256. And, you know, uh, your mystical archived alternate language, alternate art choices were one in 309 for those mythics. So seeing these jump this hard is is mainly a product of there's not a lot to get sold and it doesn't take a lot to say like if four of these sell 
it, it's hard to open another one and you know to to try and set a new price so everyone that gets sold is just going to like crank the it up another notch and while i don't think i would be buying you know regular non-foil ledger shredders at eight dollars i'm definitely selling that it, uh, you know i picked a gilded foil earlier in the cast uh, in broker's ascendancy because i think these are rare enough that this sort of price at this point is not commensurate with how rare it is and how difficult it is to pull these. We'll see if I'm wrong, because I, like I said when I was talking about the pick, I don't like choosing cards early in a cycle. Like I definitely wouldn't be picking any non-foils right now, even though there were several non-foils on the, the list. I have been burned too many times buying things too early that I'm planning to brick out later at a buy list. But specific things that are, you know, chase versions, I'm listening. You know, you can you can talk me into some of these gilded foils. They're just crazy rare. One of the the key things is that that in that insinuates to you, even if you don't know the ratios that we're breaking down here, um, that there aren't that many of the gilded foil rares and mythics floating around. Is that nobody has bricks? Like you can't buy twenty copies from anybody. That might have been possible like first day through the gaming company and somebody snapped those off um, at an even lower price point. But as you said, one in 400 to one in 500 seems to be that sweet spot they're targeting for the best cards in the sets. And then, of course, Red Soft Glow Hidetsugu was one in 1,800 packs. Um, but it's interesting to even compare. I was having a conversation with somebody on Twitter um, about how rare foil Amano uh, Japanese alt arts were out of War of the Spark, which was the last set before the advent of the Booster Fund project and the release of the first collector booster boxes. Um, right. And you had to open, as you said, 400 packs to find a foil extended art jeweled lotus in Commander Legends, which is about how many, which is about $8,000 worth of product at about $240 a box for those, versus 492 packs for foil etched Urabras Keratic Praetor, but because those boxes are cheaper, they're about 195 a box in the market right now. You're still talking about 8,000 in product or so. But for foil a mono, you had to open $24,000 in product. <laughs> and so one of the things I pointed out to the pro traders was there's an interesting uh, ratio there that would be worth exploring further. Because, you know, Jeweled Lotus is about a thousand, like kind of a $800 to $1,000 card right now in the open market. Um, and Amanos are more like 2500 to 3000 Well, it's also triple the product to open a foil Amano as it is a foil Jeweled Lotus. So triple the rarity, triple the product. I mean, or triple the amount of product to open and essentially triple the rarity equals triple the price. Now, I, I suspect that that ratio will not always hold true because you also have to consider differences in the popularity and applicability of the cards in question. So I think you're probably going to get something that is not too surprising when you're comparing very high-level cards. But for something like Urabrask, which has been widely panned as a very mediocre card, although I, I think it's better than people think it is, um, you know, I would expect that the ratio will start to crumble in terms of the price comparisons. Whereas something like the two-year out price for Jinja Taxius Phyrexian Foil Etched 
may well track neatly against the Lotus and Lily because it's also a very good card. Um, so, I mean, bottom line, this is, I mean, this whole line of thinking is important to flag because yes, they can, they can open a bunch more product and try to fill in the gap, but a, this, some of this is going to effectively be price memory. Like if you've got a card that was $8 on opening weekend, like say if that was the low, whatever the low was for Ginny Fay foil gilded, I haven't double checked, but whatever that low was, say it was 20 bucks or whatever. Um, if it gets up to 45 before TGC introduces their wall, they're not going to price it back at 20. Like they're using an algorithm. So they're just going to, pr- they'll end up pricing it at 39.99 or whatever to capture the lowest segment of the market. And then people will slowly undercut them and push it back down. But if people are buying copies as that's happening and that purchasing outpaces the supply, then the, you know, 20 additional copies they offer to the market may not last long enough to matter. And if they can't reload again after that, because again, collector boosters, as far as we know, still don't see a second print run. So the bigger the bigger cracking operations still have the deepest access and seem to be able to get unwanted product pretty easily later. So for instance, things like uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, when you see CB start to f- fall below 150 at some point, six months out from release, you know that they they sold relatively poorly to their overall production run. And that's when you see these massive walls get thrown up on TCG Player for cards that are, you know, potentially good $1.50 cards, but there's 3,000 copies up there because that sealed product got sold off to a crack job operator at a very, you know, bargain basement price below cost probably, uh, or very close to cost, and set them up to, you know, crack them and price them using an algorithm and, and punt it all out the door without caring how long it takes for the wall to get off road. Yeah. Um, you made a good point about the, uh, the reprinting of commander boosters. We haven't collector boosters. Why do I keep wanting to say commander boosters? Um, collector boosters don't get reprinted the same way draft boosters will. Um, have you heard anything about set boosters the same way? Set boosters get go through multiple print runs. Like there's more Modern Horizons two set boosters that are set to be released in June or something, and then that's probably the the, the final time vendors will have access through distributors. But that makes sense too because that set was not supposed to be one and done, like Time Spiral Remastered was, where they were re- releasing a new product formulation that they were tentative about. It was also during COVID; they were having production issues. And, and likewise with Commander Legends, which was also released during COVID, production issues, etc., they ended up with less in the market than they would have liked. Whereas Modern Horizons 2, they had largely fixed those issues by then, and they have pumped, you know, set boosters into the market four or five times already, and, you know, there may be a sixth, or it's been three or four, and there may be a fifth. I can't remember what, where we're at. But the collector boosters have never shown up... Uh, as anything that people would call a you know a fresh print run, there's there's a big sometimes like inventory shows up somewhere like we did a late a fairly late uh, Modern Horizons two order I think end of last year and and people were talking about you know is this a reprinting and it's like no man like this is just product that was in a warehouse somewhere and got pushed out via distributor X to vendors you know Y and Z. It's, you know, just because there's inventory you haven't seen before, it doesn't mean that it's been recently printed. It just means that 
it moves through the distribution channels and eventually lands in your lap. Um, so the other thing to consider is that the commander decks come with a collector booster mini pack now, um, which some people, you know, wondered whether those those mini packs would uh, have a negative impact on the kind the cards that can come out of collector boosters because they are samplers of what can come out of collector boosters, but they're relatively modest samplers and they don't really seem to be having much of an effect. Part of that is probably that the only people that would care, like the only people that would be opening those and dumping them to the market instead of just sliding them into decks, would be the cracking operations, where they're just getting you know a two or three card bonus on everything they crack. I just don't ask me to calculate the odds on those. I'm a little, <laughs> a little burnt out, like I did. I, I, I suspect too. it is less than a two or three percent boost to the overall presence of the cards in question. Yeah, thank goodness. I, I don't think it's a huge amount. Um, so, what to do about these cards like Ledger Shredder and? the gilded cards that seem to be draining out in a hurry and the foil borders triomes. Well, I, I think I'm a seller of almost all of the above. And if you all end right, up selling, you... if you end up selling a little early, so be it. But you know, if you got Ginny's at 22 and you can get out within the month at 50 or 55, and then later it ends up being a hundred dollars plus, that's fine. You, you've learned, learned a lesson about relative rarity for, for future but you've still gotten out with a strong profit. And the alternative where you something like the foil boardless triumphs, you know, float up to 60 or 70 or 80 here and then drift back down towards 40 in the summer, you're going to be pretty sad that you didn't sell between 60 and 80 when you had the chance. I mean, I I would agree that you know, this is a good time to sell the gilded foil mythics um even if I did pick uh Broker's Ascendancy this week. Uh, that's just because I, I like having the cards that go into the decks more than I like having the um, the actual commanders. The thing is that a large a large part of it, a large part of deciding whether you're going in or getting out is whether it's already popped off. And in the case of Guild uh, of um, uh, Broker's Ascendancy, I think it's a relatively narrow application card. You know, we said everything we said about Atraxa, cool, but it still just attracts players that have immediate use for it. So compared to something like all the players that are going to jump into building Genife and or Jetmere might want gilded copies of both of those cards because they go into each other's decks. Um, and it's more of a top of mind thing for them. The those cards, you know, the, the Ginny Fay foils are three to four times the price of the Broker's Ascendancy, but they seem to have roughly equivalent homes, like roughly equivalent overall demand, and based on the commanders that want them. Jetmere being fourth, and Ginny Fay, I think, being 15th right now on EDH Rec in the last couple of weeks, and Atraxa being fifth. So that's why your pick still looks strong to me, because it just hasn't popped off yet. All right, I uh, I can't argue with that. Um, the other the follow up question would be, if you're selling now, is there a, a particular time frame you're waiting for before moving in? Is there, 
Are you just relying on just, your experience just w- to say, like, just watching, Just looking to check in every couple weeks from there on out to see where things are at. One of the things I'm looking for is what are the cards that we're pre-ordering way too high that I can buy later when there's no standard or pioneer or modern application for them? Like, one of the problems with the Triumphs is they're when they were first released in Ikoria, nobody was clear where they were going. Like, people said, oh, yeah, you'll probably put a one-of in your modern decks to fetch up or whatever. But people didn't realize that it would end up being played all over the place and be much bigger staples than... Like, Japan would never have priced them the way they did when I was buying Borderless Triumphs for $5 if they realized how many formats would be running them. Because you see them all the way back to Legacy. Like, Legacy decks can run a single copy of a Triumph if they're in three colors. Um, Fetch it up end of turn, and you got three instead of two. Um... And then you got cycling on top of that. But you have like a situation where, you know, some of these cards that are not ultra super staples, they have to fade. So I'm thinking things like bootlegger stash, looking to pick those up in Japan, like borderless copies under $10. And we're already pretty close. I can get $12 copies this week. Things like Halo Fountain. If, if Halo Fountain is basically a strictly an EDH card, and it's the kind of thing that it could be on a one to three year clock to walk up a pretty steady ramp on the back of casual players building tokens and life gain decks, etc. And it could get very cheap in the interim. Like, as we were saying, there's a push and a pull. If all this other stuff's going to go up, some of this stuff that was inflated up front has to collapse, Right. Like, I think currently, if we look at TCG player for uh, Luxior, that's another one. Like, Luxior... Luxior got a lot of early uh, attention, it's true. Luxior foil extended arts are still at $26 with 76 listings. I would expect that to get undercut and undercut by like a dollar or two a week for a while and end up getting copies in the mid-teens. Hmm, Luxior is a mythic with exactly one variation, so it's one in every 164. So, yeah, that's... um. Like Halo, Halo pro- Fountain Foils started out near 80 or something? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and now they are $20, like 1955 is the cheapest copy, 104 listings. And, you know, I expect that to be eroded further as well because you do you want a halo fountain in your jet mirror Ginny deck yes probably but you probably just opened one like you got one in your pre-release or you bought a cb and you got one etc like you don't there's a lot of people that are opening product from this set that don't necessarily need to reach for an additional or fancy copy of halo fountain immediately and again if it's not getting played in any constructed formats that though though a really great you know thematic mythic for edh that isn't seeing constructed play is a card the kind of card that can bleed ev if a bunch of this other stuff is skyrocketing it's true like uh, you would you you know something that says you win the game i'm always uh going to be interested in picking those up when they hit their bottom and Halo Fountain, um, have you ever a chance to play with it in uh, competitive draft yet? 
it is <laughs> no, but I would imagine in draft it's quite busted. It's it's actually not as good as you would think it is. I, too too slow. It in, it's just like you need to have a creature that can get in, and then you're getting a one-one, and then you're like, okay, great, and then it's uh, like remember wedding invitation? You would know, if you attacked with two things, you just yep. drew a card yep. on your own. This is like you need to have two attacks get in. You've got three mana to play this plus another two mana to untap those creatures and you can't just be like sending them to their death you know you need so do you do you do you you run it in your white draft decks or do you cut it i have tried playing it and i have been underwhelmed by it both times and so i don't i don't know if i would play it again i i probably would because like there's things that can like uh the glitter the, the one who makes a treasure token the glitter something um that card's busted with halo anything with a tap ability is ridiculous but um like halo fountain got a lot of press for just being like another way to win the game and again it's a it's a, it's a win more card i'm not sure it's going to have the legs so well, yeah that that third ability is certainly absent and limited the five yeah. white tap untap 15 tap creatures you control you win the game but in Ginny <laughs> fey and jet mirror it's a real threat. Like it's an approach of the second sun level threat because sure. they're going to second harvest or parallel lives or doubling season or anointed procession or bootlegger stash or um, any of these things or uh, grand crescendo, any of these things that can make a bunch of tokens on the spot, rabble rousing, and they're going to go five, 10, 15, tap the halo fountain win. Like it's going to happen. You- it happens fast in in Ginny Faye especially and this is why this, this debate rages on in the discord including i saw a comment from you earlier today um uh but i maintain Ginny Faye is the answer not jetmir because yes the the massive overrun-esque abilities of jetmir are super cool but it's Ginny Faye that fills the board and then sets up the win sure so we'll, uh, and, we'll and, and, Halo, and Halo Fountain is like the argument goes that you could just be using Halo Fountain instead of Jetmere. Like there there are five or six things that you can put in the ninety nine to finish the game when when it's time to do that, depending on what the state of the board is like. So yeah, Halo Fountain, uh, Elspeth Sword, Bootlegger Stash. This is stuff that I suspect bleeds EV. Um, cards like Protection Racket that are pet cards of mine, but lots of people don't know or care about um they have to keep collapsing like currently you can get protection rackets at four i think last week they were up to seven they could easily slip down to two for the extended arts you know that kind of thing is going to keep going on there's probably 10 or 15 cards we covered in the set review that are are not showing up as the top you know 15 cards from snc ncc according to edh rec that are just going to keep sliding and get real cheap because that's that's what happens in the premium era of Magic is you can have some very expensive cards, but the the base version of cards has to has to be very cheap as a result. All right, I would agree with you on that. Uh, that's so. That's I mean, little summary. Streets of New Capenna is a is a a bit of an odd duck for the reasons discussed so far, but it's still a standard set, right? And again, the the collector boosters are not limited. And we are heading into uh, Commander Legends 2 previews in a week. So the hype cycle is about to rotate. 
and Double Masters 2 is a month after that, and then it's Dominaria United, and then Brothers War to cap off the year, so it's going to be very busy over the next six months. And, you know, part of the targeting Capenna early could certainly be that people think these two massive runaway hit sets this summer are going to stop people from spending money on streets outside of this, like, first two to four weeks. And that during the summer, maybe, you know, given COVID, people will choose to be outside more rather than playing in standard in their LGS. But... Time will tell. We will certainly be checking back in on a lot of these cards as, as things progress and go back and take a look at which prices have held firm, collapsed, or climbed, say, three months out from now, I think will be very interesting for this set. I think so, too. I'm, I'm looking forward for that. Uh, we need to schedule a retrospective show is what we should do. Alrighty. Uh, so where can people find you online, Cliff? People can find me online at Twitter, on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my Friday articles on mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for this week, James. Uh, Always a pleasure to be here, man. Episode 323 in the bag. Thank you, Cliff. And we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.